The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. As we get into it, I I feel like there should be this this preparation of your heart, and we are going to take some moments right now for you to do that, but we are going to get deep today. And so prepare for that, prepare your heart for that. So with that, um, I'm just going to pray for us and then give you a little bit of time just to bring your heart before God too. So pray with me. God, we, uh, we do sit in just the safety of your presence, safe because of the work of Jesus, safe because we're invited there. Safe because we can call you Father. And you're just like uh, my own kids, like the kids we have here today. They, they're running around, they're distracted, not focused like we are. And that's, that's like we are with most of our lives, God. We, we avoid these moments where we sit and are still. And we invite you to look at our heart, our soul, our mind, and to teach us so that we can live with wisdom, that we can walk in truth. God, we want that so we, that we confess, we unburden our hearts to you, God, saying, see us, purify us so we can receive your word today. Let's take a couple moments if you want to offer your own prayers to God before we start. Thank you for hearing us, and thank you for these moments we get to spend with you together. Amen. Worry is a great waste of your life. If you want to waste your life, take something that is out of your control and let it consume you. Jesus confronts three concerns that often control us. That is, worry about life, worry about stuff, and worry about the future. In this short series, Jesus invites us to a better way to approach our worries. And that is to seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Do you worry about the future? Well, if you don't, let me give you a good reason too. Did you know that January 24th, 2023, just just one month ago, the doomsday clock got the closest to midnight it has ever been since the doomsday clock started in 1947. Now, it was founded by Albert Einstein, this doomsday clock, and University of Chicago scientist who had developed the first atomic weapon in the Manhattan Project. They created this doomsday clock two years later. They they founded this this project in 1945. In 1947, they started it. 
using the imagery of the apocalypse, which would be midnight, and that like a nuclear explosion, it would slowly count down to zero, and it would, it would in, in essence, help us understand the threat to humanity and the planet that we are slowly moving towards. Now, every year they update this clock. It has been set backwards eight times. The least threatening time was 1991. Um, So for you who lived in that time, congratulations. 17 times it has moved forward, and we are at 90 seconds right now. Now, there are 86,400 seconds in a day. That means we are literally 0.1% away from midnight, according to this. And the reason for that, they say, is a number of things, and one of those being the war in Ukraine, which seems very far away. But with the veiled threats of nuclear war that Russia gives, they are moving it to 90 seconds. Now, that's a real pick-me-up, isn't it? Just to start off the sermon that way. How do we respond to this news? Because you, you might have been carrying a lot right, already this week, and then all of a sudden I'm talking about a doomsday clock, and you're thinking, man, there's, thank you. There's something else to worry about. And it can be worrisome, right? It is so big. It is so out of our control. What do we do? Well, our response might be to be dismissive. Well, it's out of my control. But some of us, it can be paralyzing. It can be angry. It can be depressing. Well, Jesus, in Matthew 6, shows us a different way. And so the, the question, do you worry about the future, he gives us this answer, which is, don't let tomorrow's unknowns or tomorrow's evils, which is the actual word for trouble there, tomorrow's evils steal today's faith. Now, how in the world can Jesus say that? Well, he can say that, because of the context of verse 33. So, if we've got the scripture up here today, we're going to read it. We're just going to actually read 33 and 34. No, that's totally fine. I'm just going to go ahead and read it out loud for you guys. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Matthew 6, 33 and 34. It says this, Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore... Let me read 33 again because you have no context for 34 without 33. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. So what we understand from the therefore is that there is no 34. There is no life without worry without the context of 33, which is seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. You will never successfully understand in your life, verse 34, which is don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough evil of its own. That will never be a reality in your life unless 33 is a reality, which is seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. I think one of the most important jobs of a pastor is helping people live in verse 33. That's almost exclusively the job of a pastor, is helping people seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness. To welcome into the context of their lives God. Because typically we live our lives day to day not including God. So the role of pastor is saying, where is God in the middle of that? And it makes people angry a lot of the time. (laughs) Nowhere! Where could God be here? Where could God be now? Where is God when I went through? Eugene Peterson wrote this. He said, my job is not to solve people's problems. This is, this, Eugene Peterson was a pastor. He says, it's not to solve people's problems or make them happy, but to help them see the grace operating in their lives. It's hard because our whole culture is going the other direction, saying that if you're smart enough and get the right kind of help, you can solve all your problems. The work of faith is to recognize where we are, the particular circumstances of our lives, to recognize grace and say, do you suppose God wants to be with me in a way that does not involve changing my spouse or getting rid of my spouse or my kids, but changing me and doing something in my life that maybe I could never experience without pain or suffering? And he says this, sometimes I think all I do as a pastor is speak God into situations in which it hasn't been said before, where people haven't recognized his presence. Joy is the capacity to hear the name and to receive that God is here. There's an exhilaration because God is doing something, and even in a little way, it's enough at this moment. Speaking God here. Matthew 33 speaks God into our worries. Worries about life, worries about stuff, and worries about the future. And what it speaks about God is it invites us into two things, and that is his kingdom and his righteousness. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, the whole thing is a manifesto of the kingdom of God. It starts this way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor. It starts with this seeming impossibility. Happy are the poor people. Happy are those who are poor in spirit, poor spiritually, because theirs is the kingdom of God. The kingdom message that we're being invited into is what the new context is. And we see see the other context we can live in in the first time the kingdom is mentioned in the book of Matthew, which is when Satan invites Jesus. It's this kind of the story we get to be witness to, Satan invites Jesus up to the top of a great height and it says he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And this is meant to be in contrast to the kingdom of God. Shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, if you bow down to me, you can have all of this. But that was not the context Jesus lived in. That is not inviting God into the situation. Jesus lived for the kingdom of God. And so he preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We are taught to pray, literally, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is what we long for. This is what we seek in that. That the rule and reign of God would be where we live. The rule and the reign of God, which transcends time and space. It's bigger than the church. It's bigger than Israel in the Old Testament. It is the desire for God's good authority to reign completely. And his righteousness is the culture of that kingdom. It's living in the way of God. 
is enjoying the way of God. That is seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, seeking the reign of God and seeking the way of God. That is what it means to seek first. That is what we are meant to seek first, and it puts us in a new context. Now, I think that's shared before verse 34 because the thing that ultimately for many of us, I think, steals our peace and steals our joy is worry about the future. Now, I want to, I want to remind you what, what simply the word worry means here, and that is just consuming thoughts. So when he says don't worry, he's just saying don't give in to these thoughts that consume you, the anxious thoughts that plague you, dominate your thinking. And many of us do a great job welcoming those thoughts into our lives over and over again, or not even welcoming them. They're very unwelcome. They just are present over and over again in our lives. And to this, oftentimes we probably aren't helped by simply hearing the words, don't worry about it, right? which is kind of what I feel like we're getting here. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. How are we helped? Well, um, I couldn't live in this passage for a whole week without thinking of a time where um, I was dominated by worry myself. I lived in anxious thoughts myself. Um, before that time and after that time, I would not think of myself as being an anxious or worried person. But the year I graduated from college, I feel like Well, at that moment, I I felt like I had my whole plan ahead of me. I was dating somebody I'd never dated before. And um, when the girl I was dating broke it off with me, I had no future ahead of me. That was the way my heart and mind responded. And I lived in that consuming worry not for days and not for months, but for years. And some of you who were close to me during that time, those years, uh, know that. Know that's true, what I'm saying. Um, It was very hard to have a context for living because my plan that I had made was not the plan God had for me. And I, I want to let you know that before that time, I had had a lot of success. People very much affirmed me in my leadership, in my, the spiritual insights I gave. I was just above reproach, right? People would affirm me, affirm me, affirm me. And then God did not affirm my plans, and I had no idea how to deal with that. Um, this is not me exaggerating This is me being honest about my worry. And the verse that (laughs) I think perfectly describes that in Psalm 13, David writes, How long, O Lord, must I wrestle with my thoughts? How long, O Lord? Because I was just wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. (laughs) I praise God for his plan for me, which was far better than the plan I had for myself. But it was years years and wasted years before I could recognize that. During that time, I did not seek God first. I sought 
the plan I had over and over and over again. I had no way to want God's authority in my life because God's authority was giving me something other than what I wanted to have with my own power. We are so much like the children of Israel in this. When over and over again, God has been good to us and God gives to us, and yet we want it our own way. As I was, I was thinking through, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself in the way that I could not trust God for the future. I thought about the children of Israel as they were going through Egypt or going through the desert to the promised land and, and they were given amazing things. They were fed with manna. They were fed with a quill. And when they were fed with manna, do you remember what happened? God gave them enough for that day. So manna would come, bread from heaven, sweet bread from heaven would come every day. And he said, only collect enough for today. Why? Tomorrow will worry about itself. You know, people collected more than they needed for that day. Over, they would collect more, and then it rotted the next day. And they were so angry at God. God said, why are you angry with me? I will give you tomorrow what you need tomorrow. I've given you today what you need today. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. This is the way our souls are led to the presence of God. One day at a time. You cannot think the thoughts you will think tomorrow. You cannot be the person you will be tomorrow. You can be the person you are today, and you can think the thoughts you have now, and you can say the things you have now. That's all you have is right now. Seek first God now, and then welcome what he has for you next. But we panic about outcomes. Isn't that right? What will happen? Well, Let me show you how the next verse does have seeds of hope in it. Each day has enough trouble or enough evil of its own. And again, trust me, I know that that word doesn't give a lot of assurance. Because you think, that's exactly why I'm freaking out. (laughs) Because tomorrow has evil. And the Bible does not say... Don't worry because there's nothing bad coming. No, it says don't worry. Evil is coming. How is that assuring? Knowing that evil will come tomorrow. Well, this is the help of where we're going with Ash Wednesday and the Lenten preparation for Easter. Ash Wednesday helps us dwell on this fact that what is ultimately evil for us we, we cannot imagine being a worse evil. God takes and does something with. There is something fearful and evil about death. Death is the inescapable part of our tomorrow. And I, I cannot dwell... with any reality upon the tenderness and fragility of my children without having fear about tomorrow. I can't. This is true. Hannah and I talk about this all the time. The thought of losing them makes me absolutely sick. 
Now, these are one of the fears we dwell on for tomorrow. And in this world, that is a reasonable fear. Our faith in God and seeking him first does not ensure, it's the reality, does not ensure the health and safety of myself or my family. If this is the bargain we're looking to strike with God, this is not the bargain he's striking with us. So what's the point if there's evil tomorrow? And if tomorrow might hold something so evil that I can't imagine it right now without being absolutely sick? Why should we trust an all-powerful God who will not ensure my safety and the safety of my family? Why seek a God who doesn't hold back the tide of evil, interrupt depravity, not silence every lie or cure every sickness? This is the deep hole of verse 34. And let me try to pull us towards the hope of God. I think his answer is different than our answer. Our answer would be that there would be no evil tomorrows. But if that were the case, we have to grapple with some pretty serious questions, right? If tomorrow's evil disappeared, what would disappear? Who would remain? Would you and your family be the only ones left? Maybe just your friends along with your family? Would it just be Russia, China that were taken? Would God eradicate evil with another flood? Which one of our enemies would we have go first? Who doesn't make the cut? We have to be honest and say if God were here right now, he is here right now, if God were present in the flesh and asked us, who has a right to his kingdom? We can only give the answer that's given in Romans 3, which is, there is none righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. There's no one good, not even one. And so into this madness of worry, into this anxiety, the answer God gives is himself. And we get that in Romans 8 where it says, God did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not along with him give us all things? And it's the same all things that's talked about in Matthew 6, 33. It goes on to say, shall trouble or hardship, all these things, all these worries of tomorrow, shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, Knowing all these things, we are conquerors because of his love for us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angel nor demon, nor principality or power, nor height nor depth, nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is why we seek him, because God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. This is what we grapple with with our mortality and seeking him first. Now, I confess, right, most sermons don't go this deep, right? They, they don't go to this point of going, 
you following Jesus might not mean that you or your family is healthy tomorrow, right? That's not the promise. Why it's so important to say that is so many of us, that is the promise we hold. And so when tomorrow comes and there is evil in tomorrow, we turn to God and say, but you promise better. And that is not what seeking first God and his kingdom promised. Seeking first God and his kingdom, what it was promised, that God would send his own son into an evil world to receive all the evil had to give so that we could be a part of his kingdom that is not of this world. Jesus said over and over again because they kept wanting him to do what they wanted for tomorrow's evils. He kept saying, no, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. So if your hope in God is simply a hope for this world, what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19 is that you have no hope at all. Because hope in God and seeking him first is hope in a king that did conquer death and invites us to share his life with him But that is not a life that simply makes this world better. It does allow us to transform the things around us. But it is a hope that we will forever be with God and that he will create in time, in his time, a new heaven and a new earth. So the answer to worry is this. It is seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And seeking first means experience and enjoy God today. Experience and enjoy what is around you today. Love deeply, live deeply, speak God into every situation because God is the one that is not going away. God is the one inviting you into life eternal. And let tomorrow worry about itself. Don't let tomorrow's unknowns and evils steal today's faith. So I want to challenge you. If you are a Christian, if you put your faith in God, but your hope is simply that this momentary life will be all that you dreamed it would be, you might discover that your plans and God's plans are a little different what you in your benevolence would allow and what God in his goodness does allow as he invites people into righteousness, what he allows, waiting for that day where he will judge the living and the dead. And he will invite us into his eternal glory. That is ultimately what God is driving at when he did not spare his son from the evil of the world, but he gave him up for us all. He invites you into the life of his son. Is that the life? that is yours as a Christian, or are you still seeking what your own tomorrow should hold? Don't let tomorrow's unknown steal today's faith. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, pray with me. God, I, 
I just want to start with this prayer I've been praying all week. Um, the prayer so many pray that you would give us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change and the courage to change the things that we can. You'd give us peace in this world where there are many things out of our control. So many things out of our control. And today, courageously, trust in you. Enjoy life with you. Receiving today as a gift from you. Living in the context of your kingdom that just that transcends this moment in time. Your kingdom that you're inviting us into to see that, man, for all the time that was and all the time that will be, your kingdom is bigger than that. Your kingdom is better than that. God, your kingdom is one where all tears will be wiped away and relationships will be restored for good. And Your kingdom is a kingdom of love. Your kingdom is a kingdom where hope reigns eternal. By seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness is going, man, God, help me live in that, in that hope and in that reality now. And show people that. That I'm not trying to show people a better tomorrow where somehow miraculously this world as it is just all starts getting along. And we know that isn't the reality, but the reality is that we can put our faith in you and live in the security that we are loved and that nothing can separate us from that love and that your love does not end with death but it goes on and on and on. God, give us faith to enjoy that and to share that and show how hopeful that is. Praise in Jesus' name, amen.